Good morning. Good morning, everyone here. And good morning to those of you joining us online, whether live now or whether you happen to be watching this at some point in the future. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. My name is Deji. I'm a member here at St. John's. And uh, it is, it's my joy to be sharing the message this morning. Um, before I start, though, I'm just going to do a quick recap because I think it's going to come in handy. Um, because this is the concluding talk from a series we're doing here at St. John's, um, a series of five. We've titled it, Walk in the Way That is Worthy. And for a number of weeks, we've been camped out in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, we've been in chapters four, five, and today we'll be looking at chapter six, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 odd years ago. And together we've been exploring this book of the Bible to try and understand what it meant for them way back then and what it might mean for us now. What can we learn? What can we learn? There's a useful principle I find helpful, and it goes like this. Although the Bible wasn't written to us, the Holy Spirit made sure that it was written for us. So that's something I'm going to be leaning on. Um, we've had Steve, we've had June, we've had Mike up here sharing with us topics on walking together, walking like God, walking in the light, and then last time, marriage for the Lord. I'm going to stop again and do a quick plug for two things. Be patient with me this morning. Two things, and perhaps while I'm doing that, we could hand out some Bibles. Thanks, Lucy. Get some Bibles out uh, for those of us who either don't have it on our phones or just prefer to have like a good old book in our hands. Yeah, get some paper in your hands. Um, two things I want to plug. First one. The last few weeks have been such such a blessing here for us. And there's much for us to reflect upon. Especially, I'm conscious that we're in the season of Lent, right? So reflection goes with the territory. Let us be open to the Spirit's scrutiny, his challenge, even his rebuke. Because I believe we have here a massive opportunity for transformation and change for each of us to grow in Christ. So I want to encourage you, after this service is over, after you've had your lunch, see if you can read Ephesians. It's very doable. It's one of the shorter books in the Bible. It took me only 20 minutes to have David Suchet read through from chapters 1 to 6. So that's the way you want to go. Go that way. That's cool. Let me urge you to read the whole book. That's the first thing. The second thing, like I said, all these talks have been fantastic. They've hit right there in the sweet spot. And the good news is they're all online. They're all available online. You won't have to go through and try and sift through the whole service to find where the message is. Our techie wizards here, thanks guys, have isolated each message. And you can go online on our YouTube channel, 
our audio podcast channels, and have a listen. Have a catch-up if you've missed it. Or if you haven't heard it at all, I heartily recommend them to you. Two things to try. Listen to, to the previous talks. Read Ephesians. In your own time. At your own place. Outside of here. And let the Holy Spirit work. Those are my two plugs. So, back to today. What are we doing today? Final talk in the series. And the title, as you might have guessed from the songs we've been singing, the title is Be Strong in the Lord. Because the passage is taken from chapter 6. So we're going to be in chapter 6, starting from verses 10 to the end. I believe, if you've got one of these church Bibles, it's page 1177. Linda's confirmed that for me. Thank you, Linda. <laughs> 1177, if you want to find it in the church Bibles. And if you're at home, however you want to find it, that's cool. How are we doing? What I'm going to do is I'm going to offer a prayer and then read the passage to us before we begin. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your promised presence among us, which means that this too is part of our worship to you today. Yes, one of us steps forward to speak and the others listen, but we are all bound together as part of your great assembly. Lord, accept our worship. Just like the rest of this entire service, may what, may what transpires over the next 20 odd minutes, may that also be of you and for your glory. Turn your face towards us, Lord. Help us this morning as we strive to hear you ever more clearly. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Right, so I shall read. Ephesians 6, 10 to 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will, be, I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. Okay, where do we start? At some point in your life, you may well have been given some well-intentioned advice that might go something like this. Stay positive. Hang in there. Be strong. Hold on. I've got to say, I'm often scratching my head at those because if I'm honest, I'm not really sure what to do with them. I get that it's just something people want to say to show that they love you and they support you. But I don't really think it means a great deal. So to be clear, that's not what Paul is doing here today. He's not just giving us platitudes at the end of his letter to the church in Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is different. One way to read it is to say, in light of everything I've said up until now, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So this isn't just something Paul is throwing out there. I get the impression that this is where Paul has been heading all along. But how do we do this? How are we to be strong in the Lord? Well, you probably caught on. There's a lot of battle imagery in this text. Armor, breastplate, a helmet, a shield, a sword. Perhaps you might think Paul is telling us to take the battle to the enemy. And that does seem valid. And you probably heard something along those lines preached at some point in the past. I think there are many dimensions to this, though. And so to help us this morning, I'm going to suggest that we be guided by one word that Paul repeats and stresses in this passage. He says we are to stand. Through verses 11 and 14, he repeats that word, stand. Put on the full armor of God, he says, so that you can take your stand. 
so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything that you can do to withstand. Stand firm, then, he says, with the belt of truth around your waist. Paul seems to be concluding his letter to the church, and it's almost like he's saying, in summary, stand firm. What does that mean? I've got two areas I want us to look at. We're going to standing in the Lord, we'll look at that, and then standing together. Two areas. So first, standing in the Lord. If we are to be strong in the Lord, it almost feels a bit obvious that we will be standing in the Lord. Yeah, this one feels a bit obvious. But we need to be careful and just slow down a little bit here. So let me warn you, I'm going to spend rather a bit more time on this one than on the second one, which is standing together. Bear with me. Standing in the Lord, the Lord's power. We need to watch out for how this one is landing in our hearts and in our minds. I say this because of how we've been conditioned to perceive power and strength. Our way doesn't necessarily line up with how God wields power in the Bible. And the conditioning of this world is relentless. Take the last three weeks, and I want to be careful here, because I know this is very close to home for some among us. We have seen for ourselves, haven't we, just how the world wields power, just how terrible that can be. The Bible illustrates this in the appalling story, you may be familiar with it, of Cain's grandson five generations down, a guy called Lamech. You may remember Cain from Cain and Abel. His descendant Lamech got so powerful, he married two women. Why? Because eh, he could. We're only six generations from Adam and Eve, the original marriage the original man, one man, one woman. And six generations down, he marries two women. We're not given an explanation, but we'll work it out. It gets worse. Lamech boasts about killing someone just because they hurt him. I don't know, maybe they bumped shoulders on the street, and he just killed someone. Again, why? Presumably because he could get away with it. As bad as Cain was, and Cain, let's remember, killed his own brother, Lamech boasted of being 11 times worse. You see, we live in a world where those who can, take. That's what drives worldly strength. They take what they want, simply because they can. And no one can stop them. They have the power, the strength, it seems. Unfortunately, this isn't just down to dictators. We can blame them all, the, all we want. It's not just the Lamex of this world. 
if we're really honest, the, the history of humankind shows us that we all need to acknowledge this darkness we have within each and every one of us. I don't mean to bring you down, because guess what? God intervenes, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. On the cross, that's Jesus, stood on the cross, God intervening. The empty tomb, God intervening. God showing us what true power looks like, what true strength is. He has the power to overcome this darkness I have inside me. This darkness against which I feel so helpless sometimes. He's obliterated completely my sin. He's obliterated death. Death no longer has the final say in my life anymore. Just think about that. That's the kind of power that Paul is pointing us towards as we approach this text. And I, I would urge you to bear that in mind, not the way we see power. We should always look to Scripture to see how God himself is wielding power. Because as Christians, that's what our hope is bound up in. God among us, Jesus, our Emmanuel, come to be one of us so he can save us, right? The New Testament tells of how Christ came to serve and not be served. He was fully God and also fully human. But he was made a little lower than the angels, wasn't he? The same angels he had created. Hebrews 2 makes that clear to us. How much power Jesus gave up in order to come and save us. That is how he chose to wield his power. And this isn't just a New Testament thing, right? Have you ever noticed how the great and powerful works of God are retold many times over. Why? Because we forget. Let's be honest, we just forget. So they tell themselves over and over again. So they remember. In the Old Testament, they're recalling and foretelling the same life-giving power, the same life-saving power that Jesus brings. That line in Hebrews 2 about him being made a little lower than the angels, that marks the fulfillment of Psalm 8, doesn't it? Which is from the Old Testament. It is Christ who fulfills it. Actually, it feels like every other psalm is pointing to God's strength and power. More often than not, the psalmist is asking God to use his power to save, to renew, to heal, to forgive. Let me read to you briefly from Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up the pounding waves, mightier than the thunder of the great waves. Mightier, mightier than the breakers of the sea is the Lord on high. The power and majesty of God is never far from the psalmist's mind. Even when you read Genesis, you open up your Bible and page, page one, page one, God speaks and bang, 
All of this is created. He is God Almighty, El Shaddai, the Mighty One. Strength and power on such a scale that we can't even fathom it, we can't even approach it. We see God, his spirit in power, hovering over the waters. I don't know why I do that every time I I do the hovering. He's hovering over the waters. Genesis 1. High above it all, mighty over the abyss, bringing order and beauty to chaos and darkness. Even on page one of our Bibles, we start to see what the psalmist knew that even though he is almighty, God's power is one that enlightens, that builds up, that creates. So if you know me very well, you'll know I'm not really a massive boxing fan, right? But I know some names. Uh, I'll throw some at you. Mike Tyson, anyone? Yeah, cool. Um, Nicola Adams, Lennox Lewis, Frank Bruno. I don't know why I said that like that. It's just like, um, I'm probably showing my age a little bit. Feel free to insert your own own name in there for this bit. Whatever boxer suits you, go with that one if it helps. Imagine them with gloves up. Yeah, they're ready. Powerful hands, right? Explosively so. Destructively so. Now think, have any of you ever tried to build a tower using Lego with your kids? Or just by yourself, not judging. Um, Or done a bit of knitting to make something special? Or repaired something tricky with a tiny screwdriver? Have you basically ever used your hand to create, to build, to soothe? Now imagine doing any of those things with your boxing gloves on gets really tricky really quickly, doesn't it? In our hands, it is so difficult to use strength and power in a godly way. And so Paul says, stand in God's power, not your power, in God's power. All too often, we're confused and misled, to be honest, by the world's notions of power. That explosive boxer, the strong politician, the rich business exec, all of them, all of them, insignificant when compared to the God of glory. So let's press pause on what the world is offering us, right? Let's press pause on that and just stand, like Paul says, we'll stand in the power of the Almighty, the power that moves mountains, that parts seas, that holds the world. That's the same power that creates a delicate little butterfly. That's the same power, Psalm 139, that knits a child in their mother's womb. Infinite power mirrored by infinite love. This is where Paul is asking us to stand, guys where God's power and love meet Jesus. Jesus. The one through whom everything was made. 
he whom the raging waves must still obey. If you read the text carefully, there is no mention of us being victorious. All that military talk, Paul never says, yeah, you'll be victorious. We are part of the struggle, but we're not called to go on the offensive and attack. It is Christ who is victorious, and in him we must stand. Because make no mistake, the struggle is real. Christ reigns victorious, but until he returns in final judgment, bringing salvation to all of creation, our struggles here continue. They continue at least against that darkness within. We must each wrestle with our inner Lamech. Let me read to you from verse 12. Our struggle, Paul says, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Paul says our struggle lies in the heavenly realms. What's at stake here is no less than our relationship with God. Our place in heaven, if you like, salvation itself. No one among us is equipped to save themselves. None of us can. But Paul wants us to remember that Christ sits on high at the right hand of the Father. He wants us to remember that all of our enemies, they're under his feet. Do you believe in him? Paul tells us that if we do, and then at the end of it all, what we should do is just clothe ourselves with God. Stand in Jesus. Hide in him. He is the all-conquering hero. Paul says, stand on the safe rock that is Jesus. And there we have refuge. Thank you for bearing with me. That's the first point. The second point is a wee bit shorter. Um, That's standing together. What about standing together? Paul is clearly using military language here. And it looks like he's probably looking at the Roman soldier who was guarding his cell while he's writing this. One soldier, what he's wearing. Reminded me that he also wrote in Philippians 2, verse 12, this is. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Work out your own salvation. Let's not take this and the idea of one soldier to mean that we work in isolation. I think it helps if we take a look at all the soldiering equipment that Paul uses in his metaphors. They have armor, breastplate, and belt. And by the way, the belt is a massive leather thing that protects your lower abdomen. You know, not not what I've got on now. That won't do anything. Shield, helmet, sword, feet. I'm going to go with sandals because, yeah, sounds better. Um, Feet. That's what Paul's using. Of these, we could legitimately claim that, yet, the armor, the helmet, and the belt 
are exclusively for the use of that one soldier, for his or her own protection. But we can't say that for the rest. When Roman soldiers fought in formation, the shields come together to form a shield wall for the whole unit, the century. That's where we get centurion from, right? A shield wall for all of them. Your own sword was used to protect soldiers either side of you, not just yourself. My, my first year in, of secondary education uh, was in military school. Yeah, don't laugh, one year was enough. Um, and I didn't always get it. I didn't get the rules. I didn't understand why. Why was my unit digging this ditch that appeared to be already dug? How deep and how long should we do it this time? I think both sides decided enough was enough. But guess what? I learned to reconcile myself to not always having the full picture. I learned to trust the group. We supported one another. We cheered each other on. We'd be following orders, even as we made fun of the number of times we painted the same wall. In the church, we're not a military army, but Paul reminds us that we're a different kind of army. And as we attempt to stand, we should do so in formation. Standing firm together means it's okay if I don't always understand what's going on. Someone else might. Together, we can face up to our doubts and need not pretend that everything's okay all the time. We don't have to pretend that we never wobble because our shields of faith have interlocked to form this massive wall. My faith bolstered by your faith. And the sword we use in formation to protect not only ourselves, but each other. Let me read how Paul describes that. The sword of the Spirit, which is this, the Word of God. We have a sword that can parry away all attacks. We are to speak his word over each other. Read it together. Remember, Jesus had gone into the wilderness to pray, and when the testing came, what did he do? He brought out the word of the Spirit. Prayer and the word of God trumps any testing we might face. The Holy Spirit made sure the words we need have been written for us, for the church, for the world. We are the church, the body of Christ. It's by design. We're not meant to soldier on alone. And we stand together because every single one of us is needed. There's too much to do. We're all needed. So when I slip up, on the same issue for the umpteen time, bear with me. Come, aid me with prayer and the sword of the Spirit. Paul, even he, asked the church to pray for him. And that way we're all here together. Prayer is key. 
You may be painting that same wall again because I keep making the same stupid mistakes over and over again, but, but that's okay. That is how we stand together. And there's even more work to do out there. People who haven't heard. I'm nearing the end. Let me just read this from Romans 10. Paul says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How, then, can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful, I'll repeat that, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Our feet were meant to be beautiful, bringing the goodness of Christ to our city. In today's passage, verse 15, our feet need to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I know it's a daunting task. He knows it's a daunting task. But we cannot be overawed by it. We simply stand in his power, and we stand together. Let us pray. Father, we praise you that you have made so much provision, even for our struggles. Thank you that through your son, Jesus, we can stand and rest in your power. Fit us to do your will, Father. And like the young David facing his Goliath, help us to throw off the world's armor and reach for yours instead. Help us to trust in our hearts that the battle is yours and that all things against us are subject to you and lie under the feet of your son, Jesus. It is in his mighty name that we pray. Amen.